Ladies, gentlemen, geeks of all ages, you are now entering BJ Shea's Geek Nation. Welcome. Welcome to another edition of BJ Shea's Geek Nation! I'm Vicky Barcelona. And surprisingly, but not because this is kind of now becoming a thing. That's right, buddy. Come on now. This is a this is on the reg. Oh, uh, that's Mr. BJ Shea. Yeah, buddy. And across from me is Joey D's running the board. We are back. And why are we back? Because we have many things to discuss. Yes. Of course we do. Many things like The Mandalorian. Yes! A new show that BJ's been watching, Gotham Knights. Yeah, we won't discuss that long. Oh, boy. No. And Gareth Von Kallenbach will join us to talk some drama at E3. His mm. thoughts on John Wick 4. Indiana Jones 5 might be good. Oh. As well as the Diablo 4 beta. And, of course, the Geek Sheet with Vicky B. Because it's Movie Friday, Vicky. And there is a movie on there that... I was not expecting to be good, but it's looking like it's pretty freaking good. That's what we like to hear. Uh, but if you guys want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us through our website, bjgeeknation.com. It's going to have our blogs, podcasts, and more. more. Or just search BJ Chase Geek Nation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, and the Odyssey. Odyssey, Odyssey, Odyssey. Uh, uh, to find us. Uh, A-U-D-A-C-Y, Odyssey. Yes, we have been off for a couple weeks because we were at a wedding. Not just anybody's wedding. My sister's wedding. Hey, my daughter's wedding. Hey, look at that. Wait a minute. That means you must be my father. No! I think that's your son. He's Oh, yeah. all right. Well, you know. Nah, we're tracking. Right. Star <laughs> Wars. Yes, we were. We had a very lovely wedding in Vegas. It was fantastic. And uh, not very geeky, though. But what are you going to do? No, but we did miss several episodes of everyone's favorite show, The Mandalorian. Yes. Last time we left off, we were on episode two, and we are now all the way through episode five. Yeah, buddy. We're seeing a lot of BS. Even when you're trying to do nice things, you can see the bureaucracy of the New Republic, which then, mm. of course, can be exploited, just like the bureaucracy of the Empire was exploited. I guess what they're saying is no matter what you try to run in the government, someone's going to exploit you. That's right. And on episode, we left off uh, episode three. We was a interesting episode because it was almost like an Andor episode. They were trying to do some major character development with this new republic that has which been is, established. Which is weird because this show is, a, is really a kid's show, as you have said many times, and I have to agree. But it was. That was like, let's do an episode of Andor in the middle of The Mandalorian because, hey, we did episodes of The Mandalorian in the middle of Boba Fett. Why not? It wasn't fully, though. I was expecting it to go all the way through, but you did get a little bit of Mando at the end. Yes, it was very odd, the cut straight from The Mandalorian and, um, oh, her name, uh, so no, not Sokatan. Uh Oh, you mean uh, oh, the, the woman in charge there? Bo- uh, uh, Bo-Katan. Uh, Bo-Katan, thank Bo-Katan. you. Oh, Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, as they are uh, fleeing a fight, and we see uh, Mando taking her to their planet. Yeah. And then it cuts, and we get a full episode of the clone scientist from the first season. Yeah. You may also recognize that actor from American Gods. Yes. Wait, who do you, who do you play? He was the taxi driver. He was the taxi driver that sort of had a relationship oh, with, with uh, one of the gods. Yes, the Jin. Yeah, that's the right. Yeah. Good call. Uh, yeah, so we get a little backstory about... What I believe is going to be how Snoke was created, because this is happening all before the First Order gets established, and we know they were heavy into cloning with the uh, Emperor and Snoke and all that stuff. And if you're watching Bad Batch, you are definitely seeing how this groundwork is being created as we're seeing how the clones are being treated and their secret clone technology that scientists are working on. Again, this is during Bad Batch, which happened before Episode 5. Excuse me, before Episode 4. So Bad Batch is happening before Episode 4, but after Episode 3. 
Interesting. So uh, we have this story being set up for this clone scientist who has been rehabil- rehabilitated uh, from the old order of uh, Darksaber, Moth, Moth Gideon. Moth Gideon. <laughs> I always call him Darksaber in my head because like, why is he not white-wheeling that thing still? Mando cannot use that thing. Give it back to him. Yeah. I'm wondering if, uh, well, we can talk about it more a little bit later, but I feel like that's just so he's not super, super powerful, like the Superman effect. And, they, and as we see, we'll get to it a little bit later, but they do kind of spoil that... Mando's not the one who's going to be leading the Mandalorians. Mm-mm. No. Um, but, yes, we get the backstory of the clone scientists, and I was really wondering where they were going with this, because I'm like, all right, we get to see a little bit of the New Republic and how they're not great at doing anything, and they're trying to get mm-hmm. kind of the old captured scientists and fighters, and they're trying to bring them back into society through this rehabilitation program. We see some pretty cool scenes. Uh, Coruscant, which I think everyone loves, unfortunately, that was not well depicted in the first three movies. The planet that's a city, or the city that's a planet, I'm not sure. And we get a lot of cool background, we get a rock, we get some... Well, it's the tip of a, the, like a mountain, right? Yeah, I don't, you know, I couldn't tell whether or not that was a complete mountain and that was just the tip and they built over it, or if yeah. they took the tip and just put it in the middle of the city. Right? Yeah, I know, very, very odd situation. But either but way, cool. yeah, it was a cool little uh, nod to uh, the uh, previous uh, look of the planet and all that fun stuff, showing that they still do integrate nature into this, what is it, mostly a city planet. In a very small way, since that's the first time we've ever seen any nature on Coruscant. <laughs> yeah. But we do get some cool scenes, uh, and uh, the essential storyline is uh, the clone scientist wants to start cloning again, because he originally had started his work to help people uh, clone organs because his mother passed away from not being able to get an organ and things never go right no well you know how it is i mean yeah all this all the stuff that's created usually gets bent for a nefarious purpose and then there's people who just think in black and white like oh that was done for bad stuff so we can't use it at all now yes and they don't want to let him restart it because cloning is illegal just like in most sci-fi shows that's generally where they draw the line they say hey we don't want to do this for whatever reason but an ex-military uh, fighter for Moff Gideon, I don't even want to say spy infiltrates because she's kind of just working there. She convinces him to start up his uh, uh, research again Yep. and leads to him being caught. She yep. steals the research. Normal storyline. Now, here's the interesting part. I have a question for it's you It's a trap. Yeah, exactly. He it's totally a- says that to somebody who looks like the it's a trap guy. Oh, yeah. God, it's so great. I do love the callbacks and the, what are they, the, the throbbing machine or whatever. The, the, the mind oh, flare. Yeah. Mind flare. That's yeah. a mind flare? No, it's not. It's on the lowest setting. I still think that's a mind flare. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. And then, of course, it ends up being on the higher setting. Yeah. yeah. Which, because that Alia Kane, I don't trust her. Don't lie, don't trust her as far as I can throw her. Yeah. That was great. Hilarious scene. Not practical. But again, this is more aired towards kids. I thought it was actually funny. I'm like, this is exactly. They could have done it a million ways. But I love the fact that it's like, who cares? Just yeah. let him walk out of the building. She turns it up to 10. She fries his mind. Now, the question to you guys, for you guys is, do you think this character is going to come back now? Because this was an entire episode essentially dedicated to this one plot, and I don't think we're getting more of him. Yeah, mm. I, I, I think what it's designed is to have you believe this is the, the birth of the First Order. Uh, bec- and the reason I don't know about the cloning thing is because of the fact that they are also doing it in Bad Batch, which I thought, okay, this is going to lead us to maybe how the Emperor, because the Emperor is definitely like, I want to know about cloning, I want to know about cloning. So maybe we're going to see some failed attempts in Bad Batch, because obviously Bad Batch is between Episode 3 and Episode 4. But the it, it's, it's basically showing the Emperor's been thinking about this for a long time. Like, I want to live forever, how can I do it? 
So Snoke is one way, but I think, don't forget, what is that version of the Emperor that we saw in Episode Nine? What is Is that a clone or is that him? And when did we get, like, the clone troopers? Those were around... That was Episode Two. Yeah, so they've been... They, it's already been a thing. But okay. the clone troopers in Bad Batch are being phased out. Okay. And, 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 and being experimented on. And that's okay. the problem. Now is I'm that tracking. So everybody that loves Rex and everybody that loves the Bad Batch guys, we're now seeing what happened to them and why they went to Stormtroopers. And... The idea that they have no rights, which means they're basically like human experiments. It's really, it's a, it's an interesting storyline happening in the uh, animated show Bad Batch, which is also dro- that drops on Wednesdays. And um, so I don't know, Joe. I don't know what we're going to see, but they're connecting both shows clone wise. That's for sure. Yeah, and I know they do. The scientist does mention in the episode that uh, the com- the communal uh, planet and. I believe they got wiped out. but That's I mean, exactly it. We saw yeah. that in Bad Batch. We saw it get wiped out. Yeah, and so he was like, hey, you know, I still think this research has value. Now, obviously, they banned it. but So it makes me think that the Emperor doesn't get what he wants, in, you know, before episode, uh, before, basically before episode four, he doesn't get what he wants. But, or at least it started, and now this other dude was hired to sort of figure it out. Yeah, so very interesting episode. Not very Mandalorian heavy, but we do get... At the end, the return of the Mandalorian and mm-hmm. Bo-Katan. And yes. I believe uh, they go to his uh, Covenant, which is on that uh, planet, desert planet that, you know, it's apparently. It's their hideout because they move whenever they're found out. Yes. Yeah. And it is apparently the most dangerous planet of all time. That's and, why nobody can find him. Mm. And so it ends. And essentially, they both get redeemed because that was the big storyline. Remember, he needed to redeem yeah. himself so he could put his helmet back on. Same thing. Bo-Katan ends up getting thrown into that deal because that is the way. Uh, so it she's is also now redeemed. It is the way, and if you save some, if you save some dude's kid, forget about it. All everything is forgiven. Yes. Yeah, so uh, that's the end of three. Uh, pretty enjoyable episode, though. I mean, it was like fifty-five minutes long, mm-hmm. which is way longer than most. Yeah, they're all over the they're all over the board when it comes to how long these episodes are. Yeah, because then this next episode we get is like twenty-three minutes long or something. So short. Yeah. Which side note? I did not realize that it was Carl Ru- Weathers who directed the Foundling. Yes. Yes. Well, makes was, sense. Grief, was- grief Carga. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, so we do get this fourth episode. And now this fourth episode is very short. And this is the episode I call, Why Would You Ever Live on This Planet? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because apparently the Mandalorians, whose lore is that they are the, some of the greatest fighters in the universe, galaxy, well, apparently they cannot protect themselves from these horrible creatures that swoop in and steal their kids. Yeah, this is a real tough planet. Their kids get taken by these big bird things. Yeah, this 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 one. I mean, it was fun. It was a good watch. I thought that in, enjoyably watched. You know, in terms of fighting and stuff. But story wise, I was kind of like, I don't really understand why we're wasting well, all this time on this, this side is, quest. The Mandalorian. They're going to be the mothers of dragons because oh. they. That's the whole episode <laughs> the was so that they. Yeah, they found three little bird boys who are going to grow up and be dragons, and that they'll be they'll, they'll help them win the battles. Oh, that's so true. I didn't even think about that. Oh yeah, that's that. With that whole episode was all about them basically getting dragon ba- ba- back up. That and getting a flashback from Baby Grogu. Yes, the best mm-hmm. part. Which with... did you guys realize who the actor was? Not until the end. No, yeah, not until the end. Oh, oh I goodness. had no idea that Jar Jar was uh, he was Jed he was Jed Jedi. <laughs> Keller and Beck, I think, was the character name. Ahmed Best. Oh my gosh! And there is history, I guess, yes. within the games and stuff like that. So Ahmed has done this. I just didn't know it. This is my first time seeing him mm-hmm. play this character. And of course, Ahmed is the guy that played Jar Jar Binks. And uh, if you know the whole backstory, toxic fandom really was very, very mean to him. Really messed up his mental health. And I think I posted. If not, I will post this video someone made, and it was 
like showing articles of like him talking about his mental health and how it was like he almost went to the brink and seeing him on screen, you know, basically his redemption arc and his life. Oh, it gave me the chills. It gave me the feels. It was such an awesome like moment. I'm a sucker for a good underdog story. So I was really excited to see him in this. Yeah, he, did grab, he had to wield uh, both lightsabers. Yeah, so that's cool. fun. How fun yeah. is that? Yeah. So uh, that was a great scene. The flashback was fantastic. The Baby Yoda scene at Grogu when he's fighting the kid I thought was also hilarious. Right? Yeah. But you're, you're also kind of getting an idea, even though he doesn't say anything, you're getting an idea of the amount of guilt Grogu is carrying. Because he, ha- like, he was seeing all the people who died. He was the only one that made it. Uh, but all the people that had to die for him to make it. And then even a part, I think it was in either the next one or in this episode, where one of the other Mandalorians, uh, I think the dad of him, I keep forgetting his name, uh, Paz, Paz Viz- Vizala, Oh, yeah, exactly, whatever. yeah, the dude with the kid, yeah. Yeah, he was saying something like, how many people died to save this kid? It, like, that just, I feel like, adds to it. So even though he can't speak and we can only assume, I feel like there is that sense of guilt with him. I oh, think, yeah. And I think his long life is why. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got somebody that, that has that kind of power and can be that kind of asset and will live as long as he does, I don't know, you know, the other younglings, how, what their lifespan is, but we know that his species lifespan is long. Makes sense why mm-hmm. you'd want to preserve him if you're trying to preserve the Jedi way at the time. They don't know the Grogu's going to be like, nah, I don't need it. But mm-hmm. they don't know at the time. Yeah, he's the biggest wild card of this show right now. He's 50-ish, I think they said, or yeah. somewhere around there, which in yeah. their years is pretty young. That would be kind of, I think, like maybe 12 or 13 yeah, they, in our years. Yoda was like 800, yeah, yeah. you know, when he took a Pasadena. So, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so that that's why yeah. it's going to be exciting to see an adulter Yoda, you know, just like we're seeing Groot in all the Groot forms. Be kind of cool to see an older Yoda uh, or older Grogu. And And we're kind of starting to see him age, if you will, because he is starting to babble more. He's starting to like they're making a point to show he's starting to kind of have a language. It's like, oh, my God, he totally said my name. Didn't you hear it? Is that his first words? Like he's starting to grow up. Yeah, 50 50 years of babyhood. That's pretty bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know. I mean, it could be one of those just red herrings, too, where they, you know, once he begins to speak, we realize he actually is older and he's just been holding back because of all of the, you know, like you said, hardships he's been through. So that is the wild card to to figure it out. But we do know that he is at least smarter than the young Mandalorians. He can beat them very easily. Yeah. Yeah. And that was pretty much the entire episode, which, yeah. you know, okay, cool. Yeah, and for a kid's episode, like you said, for a kid, how do you not love it? I mean, there's just so much fun action kid stuff. Well done. But, yeah, when you, when you watch Andor and realize, okay, Andor is an amazing story. Mandalorian is a fun story. Not a lot of depth like what you've been used to with Andor. But still, I don't hate this show at all. I mean, no. I'm enjoying it. No, yeah, and they put a lot of money into the CGI and the space battles in this particular uh Season, which was we get to in the next episode, which is The Pirate. Directed oh, yeah. by Peter Ramsey, who is also the director of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, all right then. Yeah, so this is the big pirate battle, which they kind of alluded to, I think, after episode two when yes. Mandalorian blows by the trash garbage man mm-hmm. guy. Or I don't even know what to yeah, call it at this point. Yeah. Basically, here's a planet just trying to like you know get do what they're trying to do, but they're on the outer rim. They don't, they won't join the Republic uh, because they just don't want to be part of that ridiculousness, and and they don't want to join anything. And the trouble is, well, then you're unprotected. Yes, and when you're unprotected, space pirates come and rob your planet. That's the Outer Rim for you, kids. Yeah, and uh, this was a fun episode. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I think that this hits the mark of what I would have expected from The Mandalorian pretty much throughout the season, which Mandalorian has been kind of slow, to be honest with you. They didn't have a lot of backstory, a lot of like yeah. just fast traveling to get through the stuff. But now I feel like we're hitting that fun, the stride, the, stride, the Mandalorian's back, the, Man- the Mandalorian 
uh, cult, if you will, or the group is finally come together and they're willing to like start fighting because they helped solve this pirate crisis. Yes. Hmm. And as I said to you before, uh, and I'll say it now, I think the great thing about episodes one, two, and three is George Lucas said, basically said these are for kids. And yet he had some pretty, for children, some pretty complex political sub-stories in these movies. You got to see some ugliness of politics done for a child. And so, hey, look, I look at the way our country is today, and boy, it, it, it's taken me this long for it to hit me that the Mandalorians definitely have a split. There are Bo-Katan's Mandalorians, and then, of course, there's the, the, the um, there's a name. The, I forget. It's the, the, the foundation or the science or the cult. I forget what their name. They, they have a much bigger name in the animated shows, but they're definitely the same ones that we see in uh, The Mandalorian. And they are a different faction. And you see what basically what they're saying is, hey, kids, when you split factions, even though you're the same people, take a look at what Mandalore looks right now, because they let their own personal belief systems get in the way of the greater good. And we saw a slight reversal of this fundamentalism. And let's be honest, you know, the Mandalorians that don't remove their helmets are fundamentalists, mm-hmm. even though that hey, this is the way. And it's I think I love the basis of what they do. But when you become fundamental, no matter how good you are intending, you become a fundamentalist. And that's a bad that's a bad road to go down because then you stop accepting outside and different viewpoints. And they finally reversed it, which I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that from this episode. Which, side note, that that kind of mirrors what's going on with, like, the New Republic. It's like you kind of are like, no, this is the way it's got to be. This is the way it's we're going to be doing things. And even, uh, I'm blanking on her name again, but the traitor, the spy, the mole. Oh, El- yeah, Elia, whatever her uh-huh. name is. Yeah, she yeah was Elia Kane. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, you know what? It's like this sounds kind of like what we were taught beforehand. They're kind of doing the same thing. They think they're doing good, but they're really not because they just want to stick to this particular way of doing things. Yeah, it's tough. It's hard, you know. They're they're not really replacing the chaos that was the uh, no the the old uh, regime and you know giving uh, order and that kind of stuff. Instead, what we get is just too much work and not enough uh, structure. Yeah, and that is having a lot of the outer planets fall through the cracks mm-hmm. and these pirates showing up. And we have our lovely uh, X-wing officer, as I've called him now. Uh, who went to go try to help the uh, planet oh, get help. Yeah, yeah. Captain Carson Teva. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and he goes and he realizes, hey, you know what? You know I, What I've been told is correct. Cors- or Coruscant or any of these other planets that could help out will not help out because they're backlogged. Yeah, super mm-hmm. backlogged. And that means that he's the only one who can help. And what does he do? And this is, oh, this is the most hilarious thing. Well, I have a tracking device in the little bot. Yeah, hey, little bot. <laughs> yeah. Just like it, honestly, I was pretty entertained by it because I'm like, that yeah. actually kind of does make sense. Yeah, it's like, oh, you came here with uh, a droid from the old Republic. Okay, no problem. You need to find it. <laughs> Which, by the way, is I, I I forgot that that was the red droid that broke down in Episode Four. Did you guys know that? So in Episode Four, when Luke goes to buy the droids, that's the red droid that breaks down, oh. and then four he has to buy R. Oh. So he gets a redemption. That red. Oh, that's that red funny. Dro- yeah, R five mm. was from Episode Four. That's awesome. Did you guys also notice uh, originally when the Captain Carson went to go talk to the Colonel or whatever? Do you guys recognize the actor? 
No, who's that? That's Tim Meadows. We recognize oh, from. Oh, yeah, I knew I knew him from somewhere. It's SNL, right? Uh, SNL, I believe. He also, specifically Mean Girls. He was the principal in Mean Girls, Walk uh, Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That's where I recognize. I knew, I'm looking at him going, how do I know this guy? How do I know this guy? He, he's been in a lot of different stuff, but he's more of a comedic actor. So I thought it was funny that they put him as, you know, hey, we're in charge. We're just going to kind of do it this way. Yeah, I enjoyed that because I, I, I knew I liked the actor. I just was like, mm-hmm. all right, how do I know? Damn, yep. Tim Meadows, yes. Yep. Yeah, it's fun to see all those, those actors that you I just recognize. But you're like, I know this guy, but from where? You just feel like, did Tim give them a call anywhere? Put me anywhere. I want to be in the Star Wars universe. Right. Please do it. <laughs> you know, here's Simon Pegg going, wow, I had to go under a costume. Nobody even knew it was me, but you got to actually be right there. That was that was awesome. So the Mandalorians do end up coming together under uh, Bo-Katan helps uh, lead a strike force while Mando tries to destroy the uh, pirate ship. Great battle. Good scene. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of great CGI here. It was very, it reminded me very much of like the 90s uh, cartoons where, like, you know, there's a, there's a funny bad guy. And he's yeah. not really that strong. Not right. really. But he ties in with the rest of the characters, and he does show this kind of union of the Mandalorians, which needed to happen. And it couldn't have been through uh, Gideon, uh, uh, Darth Gideon is what I keep Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. Yeah. Gideon. Darth Everyone needs Gideon. to be Darth, man. Yeah, sorry. Moff is, Every- Moff is more of a pain-in-the-ass political guy who wants to be a Darth. So uh, we do get the resolution. They do defeat the pirates. And then we get an interesting scene. And this mm-hmm. is this is one I was not expecting. The uh, forger, I don't know if that's a technical term, but the gold Mandalorian. The armorer. The armorer, armorer. yes. She tells Bo-Katan to remove her helmet. Yeah, buddy, this is what I'm talking about. They decided to reach across the aisle. No more bipartisanship. And I, ah, so this is tough. I like the concept. I really like this idea of she's going to be the union between both factions. I don't know if they earned it because she doesn't really believe that uh, Bo-Katan's seen that giant creature in Mandalore history the first time she's told about it. Yeah, the Minotaurus or whatever yeah. they call it. And uh, mud, everyth- Mudhorn. Mudhorn, right? Something like that. I can't remember. What it's it's it, it's yeah. yeah. It's it's some sort of mythosaur. It reminds me. I think me, it's yeah. the mythosaur. I think it's what she mythosaur. calls it. Mythosaur. That that sounds you know supersonic yeah. supersaurus. Yeah, it's a big ass looking <laughs> Minotaurus mythosaurus. Mythosaur, yes. Uh, yeah, it's a it's, it's a big ass creature. Because I I could have seen it. From any of the other characters, I don't know. I just when I, I heard it, I was like, okay, I like that idea, but she's been so strict, you know, from for for that guideline of everything the whole time. But I don't, I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Oh, I don't think she's doing it necessarily. Like, I like to be wrong. I should say this. I'd like to be wrong, but my theory is we see at the very end of the episode uh, that the captain, or yes, uh, what's his face, Captain Carson, uh, he's looking over. He sees. Like, oh, hey, there's this transport. It got breached. The hole got breached. Everyone's dead inside. And they figure, like, there's some sort of, like, wait, we can't get any information on this. And it turns out it was the transport that had Moff Gideon. He never stood trial. And they found a little bit of the Mandalorian metal alloy oh, that the they Vescar, used. the Vescar, yeah. The Vescar. And so one of two things. Either someone planted that so they can turn against the Mandalorians, kind of, you know, just faking it. We just I saw that because I recently watched the uh, Boba Fett, the, just the last three episodes so I can catch up on Mandalorian. Ah, yes. So I'm like, oh, you just kind of played a trick here. Like, hey, these guys did it. Follow them, not us. Don't look for us. Uh, or the armorer has something up her sleeve and she's doing it for the greater good. And the reason why she had her take the helmet off, not because she had a change of heart, is because I think she's planning something. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I do believe it's a change of heart. The armorer has always been a great leader, 
and the armorer knows that the that because Bo-Katan has I don't know if she said it to the armorer, but she's basically just called out the Mandalorians like this this faction, and I can't remember the name of the faction, but who they are. She's called them out. She said, you know, you guys effed us. You you caused a split and effed us, and we got wrecked because of it. She's very bitter at that cult, at the, and so I think. That the armorer knows that they did actually that their 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 fundamentalism did cause a problem, and for her to be able to say she walks both paths is a way of saying no more black and white. It's mm-hmm. like we have to be, which has been a Star Wars thing for a long time because Luke was the guy that walked both paths. You know, he wore the black, and he thought his father was redeemable, even though he was with the dark side, and. I think that's what the whole thing is when it comes to Star Wars. It's not about the Jedi. It's not about the Sith. It's about both paths. And I kind of I hope that's what it is, because my other thinking is more of a it still kind of falls in line with what we've seen. Like everyone's taking their values or what they believe in to the max, thinking like we are wanting to do good, whether it's the New Republic, whether it's the Moff Gideon people. Whoever they're like, we want to do good. So we're going to ramp it up. It's it kind of like the whole like. Oh, we're doing this to protect you. We're going to hurt you to protect you. And I feel like they're, you know, they didn't help um, like Bo's uh, people right. when they needed help. So, like, yes, she she sees that she can possibly, if she's the baddie, like I'm possibly figuring out, then she's going to use this against her. She's like, oh, I can make her feel like we're going to help her. We're, we got her back. This would be the perfect way to do it. Yeah, if that's I, how it goes. Yeah, I don't think either one of them is duplicitous. If they, if they, if that's the case, I'll be disappointed because Bo Katan is not duplicitous. She believes in her cause, and I also th- in the uh, meaning that they would betray each other. No, you know? I don't think she would. I think uh, the armor would betray Bo. Yeah, and I don't think the armor is either. I mean, I, it, it's a possibility. Yes. And boy, if that's the case, then the armor has done a great job making me think that she's honorable and a great leader. But you know what? That's what makes somebody who's a real good baddie. So if that right. turns out to be true. And, and if she snowed me and big not, time. And I'm not saying she wouldn't be, it's not because she's a bad guy necessarily. She's doing everything she does, she does for yeah, her faction. So I, that's why I could see it be that way. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I hope you're wrong too because that would suck. And you're right because she would be so myopic if she mm-hmm. did. Um, I'd like to think that because Grief Cargo, they were able to work with him mm-hmm. and able to, you know, because they were enemies at one point, and now they have a place on this planet, and they've seen two factions come together that weren't together, mm-hmm. that they realize, oh, maybe we could do that. That's why they didn't take their helmets off, but she's like, this is not Bo's way. She walked our path. She walks her own path. Like, I think in a way she's saying Bo should have the Darksaber. She walks both paths. I think it's her way of somehow finding a way to let Bo like be in charge of everything. And see, that's what I don't. That's I like. I think you're right with the concept. They we walk both paths. Need to unite the factions. I think the major turning point for the armor in this episode, the episode before, was that she sees the waters of Mandalore. They've been pulled, so, they, so she yeah. knows the planet's fine, right? But my problem is, is the lore leading up to that is the person who yields the dark saber is the one who unites the clans, exactly. And the Mandalorian has also walked both paths. So why is it Bo-Katan that this one who's getting to unite the clans? It didn't make sense. But to that's me. An, you're right. It's yeah, interesting. I, I, you know, you make a good point. There's a reason why he can't lift that sword, though, and I don't know what that is that well, she can. Maybe that kind of goes along. Like, he does, he did technically walk both paths, but he rejects one. He adamantly rejects it because otherwise, why would he have gone through the whole point of basically going through rebaptism, if you will? 
Yeah, he like he's, he's, he's he is fundamental, Joe. He only did it reject- for the yeah. He did it for the kid. He didn't do it for any other reason. And then he immediately went like, "I got to get my, I got to get back to the tribe." Right. Sure, but he also he might well. So he's also worked with Bo-Katan. So he's not opposed to the other side, right? You can see the other but the fundamentalists he didn't take his helmet off for them. But you can believe in something and still believe in both paths, right? The same thing Ooh, the armorer is doing. That's he, her exact. Well, point. the ar- but the armorer I think has always been wiser than everybody else in that clan. Yeah, again, yeah, but these are very these are. Religious cult that's based off of essentially, you know, these 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 miracles, right? You're talking about a, a guy who rode some gigantic beast, yeah. and and they have a guy who has saved their clan, united their clan, found them a new planet, and wields their weapon. Yeah, it's just it's like I don't get why that's it's her. Why, here's why I think it's her because they're not the answer. The clan and the religiousness and the fundamentalism is not the answer. Even though we were led to believe the answer was going to come from them. I think that's what they're trying to say. But I see your point, Joe. Like, the whole show has led us up to believe that he was going to be the savior. And they're going to have to do some splaining to really convince you that, oh, no, Bo-Katan was the savior after all. Uh, It would be like if, in fact, uh, Longbottom was turned out to be the guy and Harry had no, Harry Potter had no role in defeating Voldemort. Longbottom intended, he he ended up being somebody special, but he still wasn't more special than Harry. Though there were some ideas in Harry Potter, I remember people were thinking, what if Longbottom is the kid all along? And had they delivered that at the end of it, I think that would have been a rebellion. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, oh boy, oh boy, they better make it good. I, I love Bo-Katan. She has a great, by the way, she also has a great history in the animated show, a huge history, which you and I don't know a whole lot about and don't have a whole lot for the love for the character the way the folks of the animated series do. I think that's another thing they're relying on that people know. Oh, Bo-Katan is legit. A lot more legit than The Mandalorian because she's been around longer than him in our world, but we haven't watched those shows a lot. That's why I'm hoping that uh, Vicky's actually right, or at least one mm. of her theories is right. What? Because if I don't want Vicky to be right. Then she's out to buy or something. It could be Bo-Katan bro- broke out uh, Moff Gideon. It could be that her faction broke him out because mm. it would make sense if, you know, because he's got a lot of power and they want to go back to Mandalore and now that the New Republic is in order, like it could be that off sec and then they go over there and they, they it's the first him. order. Yeah, it, that's well, who, it becomes the that's first who, order. Yeah, that's who broke him out, which I don't think is going to be Bo-Katan uh, willingly. I mean, maybe though, maybe they uh, inadvertently do give power to the birth order trying to you know reunite Mandalore. That's a possibility. I did have this, not necessarily, uh, like, I, I'm like, this is what's going to happen. I'm like, huh, I wonder if this would count. Because she saved him twice, like, at, like really saved his ass on two different occasions within yeah. the same thing. Like, Yes, she didn't defeat him in battle, but she defeated someone that defeated him. Yes. So I'm wondering if like that would be like their, uh, you know, their what do they call it the the loophole to and get she, the saber back to her. And she can wield the dark saber, and mm-hmm. he can't for some reason. Yeah. So that's what really puzzles me. It's like if the prophecy was true, why can't he wield that? He can't even pick the damn thing up. So there is something about who you are that that dark saber can be wielded. There is something about that, and I think. That the fundamentalism of Bo-Katan's people was whoever, you got to kill the person and then you can wield it, as opposed to, well, the Mandalorian won it fair and square and he can't wield it. So I think both sides are seeing that their fundamental beliefs, which might even be more philosophical slash religion and not really based on fact, I think they might realize there's more to this. And if we walk both paths and if we widen our perspectives we might be able to, first of all, get the right person to wield the right weapon against the right people. 
And maybe that's what they're trying to tell us with all this. Yeah, that's the fantasy fudging, as I like to say. There aren't mm-hmm. any rules to this magical device because we get to make them. So <laughs> it's that's the trouble. I don't need like I I've never I don't know I don't know enough about the dark saber again from the animated show. So a lot of people who've watched the animated show probably know a lot more about the dark saber than all of us. That and, and we, we might be missing a big thing. But what I'm seeing is Bo Katan can wield it. She, I, I think there was one part, right? Oh, yeah. she taken? Yeah. She, yeah, she kicked ass with it. Yeah, because well, that's the funny part. There was actually a little debate about whether or not she can wield it now because the Mandalorian got defeated by that Junker in, uh, when they went to Mandalore. Yeah, and then Bo Katan defeated the Junker. So technically, so, technically, <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but yeah. again, it's a, it's the fantasy fudge, as I like to say. Whenever you're dealing with you know, some sort of fantasy, they can bend the rules as much as they want. Like for all we could say, like to your point. You might just have to be a strong-headed person, right? Yeah. And that could actually be the rule, you know, so. You might have to be Thor. Yeah. Okay, you never know. Can you lift it? Uh, but we'll have to wait and find out. Uh, I'm enjoying this uh, season still for a little slower than the other seasons, but I'm still liking it. Yeah. And, it's, um, it's fun. And, I, you know, if, if, again, if you Bad Batch also is, is a fun season. You know how some of those animated shows are. They have a million episodes, and there are quintessentials. But I really like the idea of what's going on with the clones. It's really, I mean, they've done a great job personalizing the clones and the, the entire journey, you know, with Rex and his crew and now these Bad Batch of clones. Uh, and, wow, how th- th- it's all going to connect to Snoke and, I think, to the Emperor being alive. And side note, uh, I totally, it just clicked on, I remembered when you were saying, like, this is more of a kid's show. My little four-year-old brother, apparently, my dad says, has been watching this with my dad, and he is enjoying the Mandalorian? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. I think it's between knowing Baby Yoda and also he loves spaceships. Yep. So oh, seeing them go. A big win. Oh, he, he's like, whoa, when they go hyperspace. Yeah. Oh, Dude, I yeah. would say, I mean, look, the, the, the 10-year-old Joe and the 10-year-old me, even the seventeen-year-old me would love the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah, I was, love it. I was thinking about it. Like, if I was like ten or twelve, and you're getting ten million dollar budget an episode on this yeah. show, like, yeah, maybe the story is not Let's there, but do like, it. it's. I would have been pretty impressed. I mean, like, I remember growing up with like, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, that thing was getting what twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> yeah. you know, for their season. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, this is pretty awesome. And yeah, like I said, it, it, it's going well, and the story's getting there. And we've always we teamed up now, so we're going to get a little bit more of that world building and that. Where's Moff Gideon? Where are the other Mandalorians? What is? Where are we going back to Mandalore? We have more episodes. We're going to have to wait and see. But until then, we have to talk to Gareth Von Kallenbach, guys. Because you might not know this, but there is some E3, E3 drama. Ooh. And I don't know if we're going to have E3. Mm. What? With us today, as always, is Gareth Von Kallenbach from Scoot and Review. That is SKNR.net. We have a lot to talk about, Gareth. We had a week off. It was Sarah's uh, wedding. But big things have happened. More drama with E3. I don't know how this keeps happening. What's going on? What? Ha- who's dropped out? Okay, so what has happened is that Ubisoft, who had already committed to going to the show and has reportedly been one of the biggest supporters of B3 over the years, has not only said that they are not attending, they are also going to be doing their own Ubisoft Forward event uh, digitally uh, online at the same time. So June 12th is when they were going, they're going to be doing it. Oh, my gosh. How could this possibly happen? I mean, this is a slap in the face to E3. Yeah, and, you know, it's... It, it's a funny thing because everybody's kind of looking at it saying, what does this mean? So it's not just so much E3, it's the larger industry, gaming industry in general. Obviously with COVID, we couldn't have the big gaming shows and people started shoving uh, 
their own shows online and we started hearing they're cheaper to produce, we can control the time that we make the news and the announcements instead of being, as some people felt, forced to have major announcements in June to coincide with the show. Uh, then you had situations where people say, well, you know, we also don't have the cost of putting all the props there, bringing the crew there and putting them up, uh, renting the space. You, we'd been hearing stories before COVID that E3 was getting more and more expensive, that sort of thing. But it's not just them. You're seeing this with Gamescom. You're seeing this with PAX. Um, the big boys are sitting out. I mean, we already know uh, Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft uh, are sitting out. And Ubisoft was a big deal. This was the first AAA publisher to come out and say, we're all in. And, you know, Reed Pop, who were helping uh, promote this, came out and said, you know, this is not, this is not the only AAA. This is the first. So we started saying, oh, cool, Warner Brothers and Capcom and Square Enix and da-da-da-da-da down the line. And now the whole, it's all, well, wait a second. Uh, we're like 10 weeks away. We haven't heard any other publishers come out and say, is this even going to happen at all? I mean, there were rumors a few months ago, and they said, nope, 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 we're going forward, announced Ubisoft. Or is this going to be nothing but indies? And then you and I have talked about the Summer Game Fest, which is happening a week before, that really grew to prominence over COVID in the absence of E3. They had said, we're going to do our usual digital thing, but have a live showcase. Well, we've not heard a peep. There's been nothing about a live showcase. There's been nothing more than this the date from the theater. Apparently, it's still going forward as a digital, which makes me think it's not just E3. It may be a whole industry thing where the big boys just don't want to take part in live shows right now they'll do live streams but they won't do in live in-person shows and gareth am i right in assuming that this must be cost-based because i would assume something like packs that we have over here on the uh, west side of the uh, country where we do a penny car penny arcade expo where they sell passes to make money is the idea that they don't think they can sell enough tickets to e3 to justify the cost of being there it's not so much that, because as I understand it, it, it's a combination of things. So, for example, you take any company that would go to E3, they have to pay to rent the space. And, of course, obviously, it's extremely expensive. Apparently, it kept going up, and the more space you have, the more the cost. Then you have to go through, well, what kind of decorations are we going to have? And if you've seen my photos and videos from E3, they build... Very, some of these companies built incredibly elaborate sets with gigantic props and all kinds of lighting effects and detailed things and so on and so forth. Then you have to hire the staff. Then you have to go through the, hey, are we going to be doing any swag and promotion? You have to pay to put up your staff and hotels, meal money. Some of them are flying in and out from all over the world. And as much as you say, well, that's the cost of doing business, that's the way it's been done. One of the biggest things I heard is that companies had issues with, okay, we've got to have something to show by this date. We've got to have a trailer together. We've got to have some kind of playable demo on the floor. We've got to have this thing built, you know, whatever. And that, combined with all the other stuff, 
people started to just say, well, wait a second. Why don't we just run release a trailer through a digital showcase in July or August or September on our schedule so we don't feel we have to have something at this date to keep up with the Joneses because everybody's got something. We can't be the one missing out. And that seems to be a big factor, too. People just feel our schedule, not their schedule. So, yeah, the companies aren't finding that problem of reach like you would need at E3. Because E3 used to be a great way to showcase the games, but if it's not on your schedule and it costs all this money, there's no real reason to bend over backwards to do it at E3 when you could do it at any other con or even digitally yourself. So that's why these companies are backing out. Correct. But here's the thing, and this is what I've been telling the staff, because a lot of them have been saying, oh, I don't know if these game things are ever going to come back. I said, that's correct, but here's the thing. All it's going to take is one or two mega budget games to crash and burn. And then the speculation, and we've already seen some not reach expectations, like, uh, you know, Overwatch 2, even though it was free to play, that sort of thing. All it's going to take is one of these, uh, a few of these big budgeted games not to hit what they expected. And then it's going to be well, maybe if we had it at a trade show and maybe if we had it at a convention. But as of now, you know, it just seems like the industry has decided we don't need these things anymore. That's wild. I mean, such a different world than pre-COVID when it was, you know, a given that you would see these companies there. So now that Ubisoft has backed out, is this going to be a domino effect? Do you think that we're going to see the rest of all these even, I mean, they were the one big title, but are the, even the indie games will probably stay, but is anything else, is, that, is it done then? There will be no more big companies? You know, that's the thing that, you know, people keep coming back to. It's 10 weeks out or so, give or take. We've not heard one other company, big or small, committed to the show. There are people speculating that some even said, you know, I've heard some people taking extreme measures of saying, oh, it's either canceled or it's about to be canceled. They knew this. That's why they pulled out. And that's why they're scheduling their live stream up around the same time. Because as you remember, they used to do showcases leading up to the live, uh, to the floor opening. We would get things Saturday, Sunday, uh, you know, and Monday, and then they would open up the floor on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to the press and the public. Sure. And some people are saying, well, we know that they had planned like certain digital days and then certain days were going to be live in person. We don't know what's going on. It is entirely possible this Ubisoft forward could be rolled into one of the E3 digital days. So it could be, okay, we're not going to be on the floor but we're still part of your thing just digitally. But there are others saying they could have seen the way things were trending and said we're out because we don't think this is going to happen. There could have been situations where they looked around and they saw what who was supposed to be coming and basically said, I don't think this is enough to justify us being there. You know, everyone's speculating because, as I said, Yesterday morning, everything was fine and dandy. We were waiting to see who else was coming, and then all of a sudden, they pull out. And then we've also heard this may have nothing to do with E3 at all. We've heard people say, hey, they already had to delay Skull and Bones. Um, They simply may not be at a point with their releases that they're in a place to show anything beyond maybe a trailer or so. You know, we've been waiting on Skull and Bones. Everyone keeps hoping for Beyond Good and Evil 2. 
you know, that we know there's uh, Assassin's Creed games in the work. We know about mobile games for the division and a free-to-play thing. But, you know, there's also the Avatar game. And at the end of the day, I have to remember the Star Wars games are supposedly somewhere out there. But things have been delayed, and they may just simply have said, you know what, we don't have anything to the point that we're ready to show it off beyond a trailer. Oh, man. The rumors are, are, are everywhere, Gareth. I mean, you can turn left, turn right, up, down, look anywhere. You're going to find another rumor. There's many possibilities. Like you said, we're 10 weeks out, so I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. But still not what E3 fans wanted to hear, probably. Moving on from that, from 3 to 4, Gareth, and I'm talking John Wick 4, you had an opportunity to see this already. I know it's out in theaters. It is getting great reviews. What did you think of John Wick 4? Without spoiling too much, I absolutely loved it, but a bit disappointed with the ending. Oh, no. I hate when the journey doesn't get to the end. You know, that that can always be disappointing. I'm going to assume that Keanu Reeves did a great job shooting people in this movie. Oh, fantastic. I mean, the sequences were amazing, and my wife was just like a bit of a slow burn getting started. Uh, but the final, I'd say, 45 minutes, the action sequences are amazing. They do one that I, I don't believe will be spoiling offering this, where they change the camera perspective to a top-down. So it's almost like a old-style video game where you're looking down on the top as he goes through a building, and it was just like, wow. And there's a, an amazing scene with a car and people in the Arc de Triomphe in Paris where you're thinking, this is incredible. And then, it, you know, there was a bit where they're fighting amongst all these cars coming in and around. And I'm like, this is the live action version of Frogger right there. Um, <laughs> when I say I didn't like the ending, it, it's very um, difficult to say without spoiling things. But one of the things that I'm kind of hinting at is that there is a, there's a certain amount of closure and ambiguity, but we had already heard ahead of time that the studio wanted to make a fifth film. And then the director came out and said, well, all right. Yeah. But Keanu and I are probably going to take a break for a while. And besides you've got the ballerina spinoff coming, you've got the TV series coming about, you know, how Winston became the uh, manager. You've got a rumored other spinoff about to be announced there's a post-credit scene that sets up certain things, and you're like, okay. And then all of a sudden, they're taking a look at the box office, and all of a sudden, the last 48 hours, we're hearing Keanu, the director, and Lionsgate all want to make a fifth film and move it forward. Yeah, we kind of thought that maybe we could conclude this part of the story and wrap everything up in four and then focus on spinoffs. And now it's like, yeah, I think there's more story to tell. But, without again, without spoiling it, looking at the end of four, you go, okay, but are we going to have to maybe, you know, step aside to a different direction to continue that forward without certain things being rewritten or a cop-out? Yeah, that so, doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Turns out when the studio wants to, to make more money. Well, that's what I looked at. It's like, you saw that opening box office. Like, they're not going to stop. This is one of the rare films that each one has cost more than the one before it. But unlike most sequels where you get diminishing returns, it continues to make more. Each subsequent one has made more money than the one before it, even though it costs more to create. So, you know, you keep going until the money well stops. 
exactly. Well, what uh, where would you rate it on uh, one through four? Is this is this the, is this the best one yet? Oh, it's it's uh, that's a hard call, boy. Um, I'd say it's it's right up there. It's it, it's like I said, it's a little slower burn. They go into the mythology, and I know some people might have an issue with that. And there were times where you're going, okay, you know, we've seen maybe we've seen some of these moves before, but. The last half, they ramp it up, and I think they set the new standard. So, you know, as I said, if you loved any of the films, you're not going to be disappointed with this one. Ah, well, I'm excited. I also have that on the docket to watch later on, hopefully next week. Uh, another movie in the news uh, that I that I completely forgot they were even making, because i got to tell you, Harrison Ford is getting old, but for somehow he is making another Indiana Jones movie, and this is the fifth one, Gareth. What's going on with this movie? Well, this is really interesting because there has been a lot of talk. This is the first one done under Disney. And um, the the greater Indiana Jones universe has never been more popular. There were a lot of people disappointed with Crystal Skull. And so we had started to hear rumors of Bradley Cooper or uh, Chris Pratt taking over the role. And then Disney was like, nope, nope, nope. Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford filming the movie. And... They came out and they even said, we will not recast the role of Indiana Jones. This is Harrison Ford's role. That's it. And then we heard, this is it. This is the last movie done. Uh, There you go. And then we started getting all this information on some of the companies that had licensing deals with it. And it's a very vast and different uh, you, you know, you get some of the regular players like Nintendo and Hasbro and stuff. Excuse me, not Nintendo, Lego and Hasbro, stuff like that. We know that there's an Indiana Jones video game in the works, uh, but we have not heard a peep of that in ages. But then you see all these other products. We're hearing all these stories about the figures and the stuff that's already out. It's flying off the shelf like crazy. Uh, I know April 10th is supposed to be a big reveal. Some people think it might somehow be tied in a Star Wars celebration, and then the 25th onward of April, you're going to see a lot of this. So a lot of speculation, but then you started to hear some, like, stepping back. There was rumors that there was a Disney Plus series in the works. That's apparently not happening. Mm. We've talked about this, that Lucasfilm has been told, focus 100% on Star Wars. But then... You hear Harrison Ford say, folks, this thing's really going to kick your ass. You're going to love it. And you think, well, that's just stars out hyping their film. But then they're opening the movie. They're premiering it at the Cannes Film Festival. That's a very highbrow crowd where a lot of the Oscar buzz films get their first look and a lot of the indie darlings get their first look. Yes, you do see mainstream films there now and then, but not so many. And the fact that they're saying not only are we putting it here, we're going to debut it here. For the world's press elite, boom, the people who basically are influential in the awards voting and all of that, we're putting it right there first. That, to me, is a major uh, sign of confidence. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that this movie would have that high of a bar, but I did like Harrison Ford in the last Star Wars movies, so maybe they've done something. I know they worked that like that cool CGI face uh, de-aging software and all that stuff into the movie, so maybe this is really the blockbuster that they hope it to be. Well, $300 million is what they've reportedly put into it, so Disney has a lot invested, and they – 
okay. they went all in on this. And so, and you know, and that's the thing is I, I did a panel on this at WonderCon, and as I was telling the groups, there are ways that they can cleverly sidestep what they've already said. Because I look at it and say, let's say it makes eight hundred million to a billion dollars, they're not going to leave the franchise alone. I mean, there'll be comics, there'll be toys, there'll be video games, books, that sort of thing. They can make a TV series, okay, and still keep that. But then I thought about it, going, you know, some people think Phoebe Waller Bridges, who's in the film, could carry it on as like a spinoff franchise. I look at it and said, go back to Bradley Cooper and Chris Pratt. You could simply say, this is one of India. This is either uh, Mutt, his son, or another child we don't know about yet, and it's the next generation. So that way. Oh, we never said we're not making another Raiders film. We just said we're not doing another Indiana Jones film, and we're not recasting Harrison Ford. That's correct. And here's the new film series going forward. If it makes money, they're not going to stop. Yes, I think you're dead on with that, uh, Gareth, honestly. I mean, the fact that, one, like you said, they can do a little fudging and get more movies out of it if they want, but if they make a billion dollars off of this movie, there's no way that that IP is staying in the closet. That thing's going to be used as much as they can. And all they have to say is the fans, we had intended to stop here and go out. The fans demanded more based on the box office response. We're listening to the audience. Exactly. Well, before I let you get out of here, Gareth, uh, Diablo 4 had its beta. And people know Diablo as that lovely PC game that everyone was addicted to maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Diablo 3 closer to 10 years ago. Uh I love Diablo. That that franchise has taken a lot of hours of my life, and I am happy to give it more. The beta did happen, I believe, last weekend. What did you think of the Diablo 4 beta? Well, I actually got a good look at it because I got to play uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then they had the open beta for everybody uh, th- this recent weekend. Now, what I find with it is it, it was very interesting. It took me a while to kind of get used to it. I am kind of one of those that I like to go out and just really – nail things and so certain aspects of rpg games where you have to gather items and build items and do i keep this do i sell this do i reduce it to that can be a bit frustrating it's kind of a trick i have with fallout where i kind of have to constantly play that battle and i think this did a decent job in that once i got a certain loadout around level 10 i found i was quite happy with it and the only time this became an issue is when I went up against a so-called boss uh, monster. I was playing it solo, but I really liked the open-world setting. Um, I liked the fact that I could advance through the dialogue if I didn't want to hear this and just you know get right back out to the mission. What I did find, and this has been very true for the Diablo games, is that there comes a point where it doesn't work too well on your own and you need a group of people. Mm. Getting a random person to come in was a bit tricky. I got stuck on an era, area. I, there was someone I know on Facebook who was playing a uh, higher level than my character was. We had a range of time for him to get in. And even so, we struggled with it because it kind of throttled the characters and the enemy to try to make a more balanced attack so you don't have like a high-level person you know, wiping the floor with everything to help the lower-level people advance. Sure. And so that that's basically where I was. I thought some people complain they don't like the the open world setting. I don't find that a problem at all. But what I did find is if you went to me and said, you're going to be grinding 40 to 50 hours on this, that's going to be a bit of a problem because I, I know myself that could be an issue. <laughs> sure, yeah. And for me, 
that was one of the big things about Fallout 76 that helped, even in the early days of the launch when there was all the issues, was being able to say, you can get help if you need it. You can get a group of friends. You can pick up random people. If you run into somebody and they're not trying to kill you, you do have the option to try to get them to join you. Uh, you could go into the events together. And that's a huge help because I think the social aspect of Diablo is key. And finding that balance of friends. Now, obviously, you have to be careful that if you're only someone who plays casually, you go in with a bunch of hardcore people, you come back the next time to play, and they're 20, 30 levels ahead of you and already, you know, whacking down the final monster. That could be an issue. But a good, a really good premise. I liked what I saw. And if you can get a good team together, uh, I think that's going to really make it a thing. Because for me, I just love the idea of being on a, getting on like Discord or something and mixing it up. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, you got to play with friends if you can. I think games like, you know, because it has a four-player limit, I believe, at the, at the uh, current moment. Games like that, they just are so much better when you have that uh, friend atmosphere. Like you said, hopping into Discord, you know, all teaming up, you know, filling out your roles because you can pick different classes. And Diablo 4 really excels at that because you do need to play as a team to either beat things on a timer like they did in Diablo 3 or just to beat the boss in general because it's kind of like that wow mechanic where you're trying to beat the raid boss at the end and you all have to be doing something, whether it be healing or tanking or dealing damage. Completely agree with you, uh, Gareth. I also will say, if you have not checked out the cutscenes, because Blizzard did release a trailer for this movie, oh man, they're living up to their old days. The, 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 they are so beautiful, so well done. Definitely check those out on YouTube or at the beta if you have a chance to play it. Uh, Gareth, thank you so much for joining us. Incredible news. We were gone for a week and everything's happened. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Always. And that's the thing. The time of year, you're just going to start seeing more and more stuff. I love it, Gareth. Well, until next time, man, have a good one. You too. Take care. Thank you so much, Gareth. Well, Ubisoft is out, and that was their big title. Wow, that's a uh, brand boy. that was going to be there. That's, what, um, is, what is happening to the world? I don't know. Uh, Diablo 4 beta sounds great. John Wick 4, great reviews from Gareth. Says it's up there with his top two, probably, of those I uh, have movies. not heard a person say anything negative about it. How about the fourth movie in a franchise? People are saying the best movie in the franchise, and maybe one of the best action movies ever. I know. And Garrett talked about a top-down scene that he said was just incredible, almost like out of a video game. You're going to love it. We're going to see it. Yep. And, and then, then I are going to see it. And then Indiana Jones 5. People mm-hmm. think that that might be one of the best. We, okay. I, 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 I am skeptical. <laughs> I so was I. I am very skeptical because I watch Harrison Ford in the, a great show called Shrinking. He looks like a very old man. Are you saying he's shrinking? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, no. and we're going to be getting a lot more Harrison Ford here soon because uh, he's going to be playing uh, Thunderbolt Ross in the MCU. What a great name. Oh, because uh, <laughs> uh, William, William Hurt, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, passed away. All right, that's kind of fun. We'll see how that. I'll take it. I mean, he's old, but he's still kicking. Yeah. BJ, yeah. we're going to see Dungeons and Dragons next week, so yeah. hopefully we have a good review of that movie. Great. Which and, and, uh, some of the yeah, we should get to something so I can talk oh, about it. Oh, okay. oh, oh. Right, sorry. All right, sorry. Well, real quick, before we get to the geek sheet, BJ, you wanted to mention Gotham Knights. There's a new CW show on. Oh, yeah. Does it live up to yeah. CW's bar? Here's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, technically. <laughs> it does. And unfortunately, nobody likes this show, it seems. Uh, it's not getting reviewed very well and rated very well. Mm. Here's the funny thing. I don't know, maybe because I'm just so CW'd out or maybe I'm desensitized. I, you know, watching a couple of episodes, I actually thought, oh, you know what? I kind of want to see where they go with this. And that, I think that is due to the fact that there are some good characters that I like. Now, 
I will tell you the the lead character Turner Hayes who plays the uh, he's an adopted son of Bruce Wayne. Now I don't know Batman canon, and my friend has Batman, and I have to talk to him about. I don't know who this kid is. I know all of the Robins, but I, there's a reason. At least in this show, he does not know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But he's adopted by him. But he's adopted by him. So okay. he lives in the house and all this <laughs> stuff and has no idea his dad is Batman. This is the most CW show I've ever yes. heard. So there's that. <laughs> and then the Joker has a daughter from a previous relationship before he met Harley oh, Quinn. No. And the daughter hates him. And, you know, so. I would think, yeah, you know, you're, you're right. I would think this is horrible. Um, and then there's a, uh, there, there's, there's a, a, a young girl who's Robin. Who you know how she debuts in the show is actually kind of epic, and I really do like her, and so that's why I was like, I really like Robin. I'm really digging the, this actor, the, the actress who's playing the Joker's kid, because you can see she's a little wacky. You know, she's got the Joker's DNA. I'm kind of excited about like where will this person go? Because she's not inherently evil. She hates her father because he abandoned him, her and mother, and her, and went with Harley Quinn. So I'm like, all right, I'm kind of liking what's happening, but I don't know when or where it takes place because Harvey Dent is in this, but he's not Two-Face yet. So I don't know where the hell this is. I don't know what part of the Batman world is. It's a, another alternate reality, you know, in one of the, the, the many worlds, thanks to Flash. I have no idea. How many episodes in are you? It's th- I'm two in. There's three total so far as of the recording. Nobody likes this show so far, but I also think, man, I gave Star Trek The Next Generation two seasons. That was 40 years ago. I know. So I feel like I should at least give this show uh, four episodes. Uh, yeah. And it is a CW show. So, yes, it's going to be annoying to a 62 year old man. OK, I get that. But I'm not the target. So I can't blame them for that. They're trying to get younger people to watch their shows. And with a lot of emotion and a lot of drama and a lot of talking, that's CW. I mean, you know what? If you watch a CW show, you can't get mad at them for doing their brand. You know, I watch Superman and Lois, and sometimes I want to, you know, just like I hate some of the side drama kills me. I watch The Flash again. Some of the side drama kills me. But I do like some of the arcs, and I do like some of the actors. So we'll see. But, yeah, nobody else agrees that this show's worth watching, unfortunately. All right, so wait and Gotham see. Knights on the CW. Hey, what an endorsement. Well, let's get back to what we were going to talk about with Vicky on... The Geek Sheet with Vicky B. Vicky. Uh, one of the things I did tease earlier was something I thought was not going to be good is actually looking like it's going to be really good. Wait a minute, what? Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Woo! Thieves. The tomato meter is giving it 89%, and the audience score so far is giving it 94%. I am so pleasantly surprised. Same. Because Chris Pine, usually everything he touches is gold. Yes. Ish. Maybe. Wonder Woman. That was well, yeah. He, you're right. That was not, but well, yeah. But he was good in Wonder Woman, the first, the first one. one. That's right. Yeah. So, and then the second one, I think he said, "Please get me out of this movie." He was not really there. He was yeah. a ghostish. Yeah. He. It was dumb. Yeah. And he's like, "I'll take the check, sure." I mean, I was a little concerned because, like, the vibe of it just from the posters were looking real cheesy. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, uh, but it's getting really well reviewed. I hear it's really fun. It is. Over two hours long, so get ready for that one. Yeah, I uh, have to get my Run P app for this one. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited to see this now, seeing how well it's being received. Yeah, because the Dungeons and Dragons franchise is such a big franchise, and they just the movies have just whatever whatever they've done have just never hit. No, they have not. Oh man, I mean, yeah. even the World of Warcraft. I was which, about to say, yep. Commercially, actually, ended up doing well. It did so well overseas. In China, yeah. Yep. 
But, yeah, they have not been able to put together just a fun story. I think that's really what it comes down to. It's either too serious or too cheesy, and this one seems to have hit the sweet spot. Yeah, and if you're going to do fantasy, you 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 better be at Game of Thrones level if you're going to do serious because they've set the bar. Whether you like it or not, which is why mm-hmm. I think the Rings of Power have a problem, they can't be as dark as Game of Thrones, and it's pretty much the same world. Mm-hmm. And Game of Thrones said, ha! How about you have all the relatives do things with other relatives and then have people cut things off and mail yeah. them to people? You know, at that point, here's poor Lord of the Rings going, we just want to tell the story of Gollum. Gollum's not chopping anybody's body part. What? Mm-mm. No, Gollum doesn't have a sister he's involved with. Damn you, Game of Thrones! Right. And, and either, D&D I, said different. Well, and that's kind of like if you think of Thor, like when you see, yes, he does connect a lot, obviously, with our world and more modern things and everything, but... When you first saw the first Thor movie, it was very kind of that vibe, the fantasy vibe. And then they decided to go silly. And I that really has worked for Thor and the character in the movie so far. So you either have to go really silly or try to out Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I and and when you're doing comedy, boy, you better get some really good people behind it. Uh and I am so happy to hear that the reviews and the the people love it. Because, I mean, you know, Joey D, Joey and I, we've been D&D people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like back in the day when it first started, you uh. know. And so, I mean, I have that kind of history to, with Dungeons & Dragons. So I'm happy that it's a good movie for the franchise. And it, I think it will be healthy for the gamer, that, that game community, which really did actually have a, boy, there was some stuff that was going on recently that wasn't good. Yeah, thank God they rolled that stuff back. And yeah. they put a bunch of money into the CGI. And even from the previews, you can tell that they didn't skimp. So, I mean, it was hopefully going to be a good ride. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like people do agree with that. And we actually do have a video game movie coming out this week, but it is not the Super Mario Brothers movie. That is next week, my friends. Oh, I forgot about that one, man. It's, it's, it's getting to be the season. Got to see everything. This is something that kind of flew under the radar, and it's about one of my favorite video games of all time, Tetris. There's huh? a video game movie about Tetris. Is it is it a is it a movie about the history, or is it a it is what is it? What? Yes. Yeah, so it says Tetris tells the unbelievable story about how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to avid players around the globe. So Hank Rod, uh, Rogers, played by Taron Edgerton, discovers Tetris oh, in 1988. Oh, that's the uh, the Kingsman kid. The Kingsman, and he was Elton also John. Elton John, and yeah. he was also in the Sing movies, which he does a phenomenal job as Johnny the Ape. Um, oh. But it start, it's about Hank Rogers discovering Tetris in 1988 and then risks everything by traveling to the Soviet Union where he joins forces with the inventor Alexei, uh, which is played by an actor that I don't really recognize. And to bring the game to the masses, and it's based on the true story of Tetris and the Cold War era thriller, like on steroids with double-crossing villains, unlikely heroes, and nail-biting oh. race to the finish. So this is based on a true story. Yes, of ah. Tetris. And okay. it is getting, so far, the tomato meter is 78% and audience score 92%. So You're going to have to tell me what you think of that. I, yes. I, I mean, I am not compelled to see that movie by it's, paying for it, but you'll still have to tell me what you that's think. That's one of those, I, th- I agree with you. I really want to see it, but I don't, not to the point where I'm going to pay for it. So once it's streaming, I'll be watching. Yeah, as I say, bad release timing. Right. Right in the middle of I all know, these movies. Really. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. a tough one. That, I feel like that should have been a February release. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I think then I would have been like, oh, I'll go check it out. But, I mean, we've got to go see Wick. We've got to go see Mario. We've got to go see D&D. Uh, and I've already, and I didn't see Fury of the God Shazam because it got. I said I'll yeah. watch it when it comes to HBO at this point because I, I, it probably isn't as bad as everybody says it is. But it, I mean, it's too busy. It took a Shazam in the box office. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if the movie's as bad as they say it is. I watched the pitch meeting with Ryan George, and that looked entertaining. Really, <laughs> just from the previews, I remember I, someone was like, 
are the two main bad guys two old chicks? And I was like, I think so. Yeah. Was it Lucy yeah. Liu and someone else, I think? Uh, uh, Helen Mirren is one of them. Ah, uh, yeah. And it was yeah. just like, what is what I'm not sure play? what's going on. I, well, here's, well, <laughs> the pitch meeting explains why. This was supposed to be a different movie. This, again, when the movie industry Fs itself, this is what happens. This was not supposed to be the bad guy of Shazam. Shazam! If you want to know who the bad guy of Shazam is and you don't know and you want to have funny videos to watch, which, by the way, you'll go down a rabbit hole of Pitch Meeting with Ryan George on YouTube, he will explain to you who the villain was supposed to be. Well. And anybody that knows the Shazam universe, it's a uh, a no-brainer. But, well, let's just say there was drama, and therefore it did uh, not happen. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. I think uh, maybe some alcohol of sorts, a tequila what? maybe. Maybe. Tequila We've never hurt anybody. Yeah, maybe some tequila got on the way of the real person that was supposed to be. It's all energy a mess. Drink and yeah. Yeah. All yeah. a mess. And, oh, yeah, okay. and, and yeah I'm not surprised. Yeah, and Ryan George will tell you all about it in a fun way. And plus, you know, his pitch meetings are fantastic. So D&D and maybe John Wick 4 then? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, and I do. I have an interest in seeing Super Mario Brothers. Uh, that'll be next week. I'm yeah. excited. Also next week, uh, just a heads up, if you like Owen Wilson. Who it, doesn't? Right? This one's kind of silly. And i not really nerdy, but it caught my eye. It's called Paint. And he, he basically is a Bob Ross sorts of guy. Like down to the picture of like the fro, the cover photo, everything. Oh, he, he looks, surely does look like Bob Ross in that one. But yeah. he, I mean, obviously it's not like a Bob Ross movie, which I originally thought of. He's just a eccentric, eclectic kind of painter dude. All right. Uh, and that'll be coming out next week Isn't as that, well. well. I mean, I suppose if I'm waiting to see Loki too. I mean, you yeah. Know, God. Uh, then I, maybe that will, you know, that'll Loki get me too. over. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's got to be soon, right? Is it, uh, is it May? I think it's said summer. Oh, summer. Dang it. Yeah. Dang it, Jim. Uh, Sorry. Specifically, it's, yeah, it doesn't say specifically. Oh. Uh, But uh, until next time, guys, stay nerdy.